Welcome back to Three Things. Our guest today has a big goal. She's setting a new standard for American cities when it comes to achieving racial equity, social justice, economic opportunity, employment, and mobility. Vi Lyles is the mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the top five fastest growing large cities in the U.S. and home to Red Ventures. In 2021, her racial equity initiative made headlines as a first-of-its-kind partnership, bringing together the public sector and members of the private sector, including Rick, to build a more equitable future for all. In this episode, Mayor Lyles shares what progress means to her as a public leader, her experience becoming the first black woman elected mayor of Charlotte after growing up in the segregated South, and why creating opportunity for others is her ultimate definition of success. This is Three Things with Mayor Vi Lyles. Vi, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited about three things. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. Okay. And I did a little research. Uh-oh. So I, I went to places that are not public, but <laughs> you are the middle child. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in a, a family of um, five brothers. So they always would say that I was small, spoiled, but I would say I was toughened up, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. So how did, how did your upbringing in, in such a setup uh, prepare you to uh, lead in government? There seems to be some, some probably some skills you learn with so many, uh, you know, being a middle child and having to deal with uh, government. Well, I think the part of it that really resonates with me as I look back on growing up is that I grew up in the segregated South Mm. and my father had a business and I saw what it meant to be a black man owning a business, raising a family. And I saw that not just with my immediate family, but I saw it throughout the extended family. My mother had eight sisters and two brothers. My dad had um, four siblings and they were all entrepreneurs. They were all people that ran businesses, but you couldn't go to the bank and get money to operate your business. So basically we would have these big family suppers on Sunday, like all of our cousins, all of our aunts and uncles, and those men would sit down and they were men at the time and decide who is going to pay for what in, to invest in their business so that they could all be successful. So when you think about growing up like that and seeing the um, depth that a family can bring to make um, a living and to raise people like me, it's pretty easy to be mayor considering how I saw it happen. (laughs) That is an amazing story. You know, you are the first female black mayor Mm -hmm. in Charlotte. And Mm -hmm. with, you know, being the first comes a tremendous amount of responsibility. What does that mean to you and what do you hope others take uh, from your role model? You know, it's really meaningful to be, to have the confidence of the voters. And I'm grateful for that all times. But I also think that you have to really have the support system to help you out. My adult children, my grandchildren, my very close friends, because they see the real you in Hmm. in the work that you do every day. Um, You can't hide the things that really bother you, or you can't hide the joy that you feel. And you have that circle of people to um, embrace you no matter what's going on. For me, being the first black woman was an achievement, but at the same time, it was also something that I wanted to do so that other little black girls could say, I have a role model here. And I remember talking to Girl Scout 
troops and, and, and other young women. And I always tell them, I can be the mayor, but you can be the president. I love it. That's what you want them to be. You want people to see people like them be successful in what they do. And you do that with support of good friends, good yeah. family that keep your head on straight for you. That's how it has to happen. I like how you skipped the whole governor piece. You went right from mayor <laughs> to president. That's well, you know, I think, well, maybe the governor may have a little bit more authority these days than the president. But I think president, when we have um, a black woman as a president of this country, I think that globally people will see this country as a place that really lives its true values, that we are a country that treats people equally and fairly. But it has to happen for people to actually see it. Yeah. It has to be real. You know, it was, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but when, when President Obama uh, went into office, I thought that would be the beginning of more of this. In some ways, mm -hmm. it feels like the pendulum swung the other way when, when he left office. Uh, do you feel the same way? I do in some respects, but I try to put that at the rear end instead of the front end mm. because when people see you as a leader, they have to see the optimism and the joy and the confidence. And you, I can't have those things that you can't control um, eating away at that. Mm. So I try always to, to treat myself and others with kindness. I, I believe in the golden rule. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. But when it comes down to actually the research and the data that you're talking about, how pendulums will swing, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit afraid about that for our country right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're recording this um, around January the 6th, and here we are still talking about an insurrection. And I believe that a lot of that is because people are afraid of the changing demographics in this country. Right. And I don't think that they see themselves as being as successful as others, or maybe in another way, that they think others are standing in the way of their success. Mm -hmm. And they have no place to go to express that frustration. But at the same time, you have got to figure out that this country was built on the idea that everybody can succeed. There should be room for everyone. So what I would hope as leaders we do is find out how to create that room, that space for everyone. Hmm. I think COVID as the most remarkable crisis we as humanity have faced, I've also created opportunities. There may be some real silver linings out of this in terms of shifting, giving us the permission to do some long-term thinking as a city. And I see us yeah. doing that as a city here. I think you're right. Sometimes it's hard to see that a crisis brings about time for innovation and thoughtfulness and, and, and gives you a sense of urgency. But would we have ever gone to the idea of um, how we change our methods for even solid waste services? How do we make it so that there was one person instead of two? How do we actually make a decision we wouldn't allow people to have plastic bags to put their leaves in? I know it's controversial, but at the same time, it was a moment that you could do some of these things that would make a difference that you knew about, yeah. but didn't act on. But COVID gave you the opportunity to explain to people, this is a better way for us to um, work in our city, a better way for us to move around in our city. All of that happened because of COVID. 
it's unfortunate that we had to go through so much of that. Yeah. But you're right. There are some things that we accomplished that will make a difference long term as yeah. a result. You know, Vi, one of the things that I always marvel is in business, we talk a lot about mm-hmm. having the right people on the bus yeah. right? and, and, you know, selecting your team and, you know, really aligning the team and all of this in your world. You don't get to select no, anybody that no, works for that you, happened, right? No. <laughs> they get elected, like it or not, here they come. That's right. Here we are. Well, how do here you we lead, are. Uh, you know, in such different circumstances? And we, we, ours is an easy game. Yours is. Well, it's a lot easier when you're writing the signing the paycheck. You know, yeah, I mean, you too. can, you, you can, you have choices that you make. Well, for me. I have 11 exceptional council members. They're exceptional each in their own different way sometimes, Understood. but they, they've made a decision that they feel like that they can serve our community and, and they are stepping up to do that. So one of the very first things that I have to realize is that I have to step back sometimes and not be as assertive as you would say. Some, if, you're, if, if you're in business, you say, we're going down this road. And you can debate which road it is, but at some point you have that whole conversation with your team, but there's a decision and everybody follows in that direction. That's not what government does. I can talk about one way of doing something and another person, another elected official can talk about another. And there is a lot more compromise and negotiation required. And that requires time. It requires a point of view of giving up some things that perhaps you feel strongly about. Mm. just to accomplish the next step. I know that we are not going to have a built-out transportation system during the time I'm mayor, but my job is to move it forward for the next five years or the next 10 years Mm. so that it can still be a plan that can be worked on and accepted. So for me, working with my team, my council, um, my community, There are lots of groups you have to bring in, the private sector, the nonprofit sector. You can't forget about your neighborhoods, the people that just work every day. And the council members have to reflect that. And we have to figure it out, how to move forward step by step, inch by inch, the old-fashioned way. You know, you remind me of when you go through Europe and and you see this amazing buildings that are built over mm-hmm. over a hundred years, knowing that a lot of people that worked on those buildings never lived to see them right. um, completed. That's the, right. the work of government in many ways, what you're saying is it requires that kind of same level of mindset, which is just doing your part for that. Your part time. for the time that you're here to serve. Because I do believe that our, our country is changing. We're smarter, we're faster. Technology is going to take us places that we never even imagined. Mm. And so I have to let go sometimes of what I think the world is to figure out what the world is going to be for the next generation and work on that. Mm. That's, that's the thing that you can never forget about the future, but you have to do something in the present as well. I like that. You know, Charlotte is, I think, one of the great, cities of this country it's a growing city it's There's the a, best city in this country rick you know that uh, you, you know, live well, here wait, listen, your business we, we have is here yeah, it's cities, very so be- I, you know, well yeah I, that's uh, i know yeah there are some other cities but yeah, right now we're, we're pretty, pretty cool and it's a it's a growing city and there's there's a number of cities that are doing that but but we have real issues right we have issues mm-hmm. that we've carried from our history and we have issues that are a result of our growth 
So let's dig in into both of those a little bit. And, you know, I think from our history, I think you and I will agree that we've tolerated too much inequality. And that manifests itself in, in different ways in our system. And in, in your focus as a mayor, which I've been uh, incredibly impressed by, is this notion of, you know, this public part, par, uh, private partnership yeah. around racial and, and equity uh, inclusion. Um, what 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 drove you to make this a centerpiece of what you're doing and and how do you feel about what you've accomplished so far i i would like to say what i've accomplished is to get people like you um like keith cockrell Mm. like many of the people that i have a lot of respect for in this community um all of the industries, the banking and the finance industry, the technology industry, people that are just regular out there. I My greatest success has been to open the eyes of others that don't see the world that I see every day. Mm. That you have to understand that not everybody has success that there are microaggressions around racism every day. And if we don't begin to address these things, then our country has no place to go. Our city will not be what it needs to be. So for me, the racial equity question has always been around the idea of opportunity. You know, we all talked about the 50 out of 50, and we've talked about it a lot, and we know the difficulty of it. But opportunity is the way to change the world. And that means giving everybody a fair shot at it. So for me, to think about this right now is that when I look at our schools and the training that we need to do for the future so that people can have a decent paying job, that's all anybody wants. Mm. They want to have a place to live and a and a a quality of life, no matter what it is. It doesn't mean you have to be rich, but you have to have enough. You have to have food and you have to have health and you have to have a job that allows you to do that. And you're only going to get that through training and education. So to me, after George Floyd was murdered and I thought about what government could do, I knew that wasn't enough because Our country is built around the idea that together in partnership with industry and government and and faith communities, all of these groups can come together and make something happen that we could never do standing alone. And that's why the mayor's racial equity um, program is so very important because it involves and engages so many institutions, so many people that are committed to it, that I think we can make the difference there. We can have students graduate from Johnson C. Smith and have internships and have their ability to get a job. I think all of that is possible as long as we stick with it and run it together. Now let's talk about some of the growth issues. Ah. Right? So as a, as a growing uh, city, we have issues on, on transportation, issues of infrastructure. You know, we can touch separately about education, but you're, you're, one, one of the big projects you're working on right now is this TMN initiative and, mm-hmm. and using uh, raising sales tax by one penny to pay for the infrastructure of the future and partnering right. with other mayors and all of that. Uh, again, this is kind of that one of those works you're not going to see it through, but the work that you will do over the next two years probably set us up on a path that is incredibly significant. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? 
So what I believe our transformational mobility network issue is all about the infrastructure for movement. It includes sidewalks, it includes bike lanes and, and greenways. It includes trying to improve congestion for cars, but would also includes the investment in public transportation. Um, I have a daughter who lives in Washington, D.C., and everybody takes the bus. Mm. Here, buses are not considered an appropriate mode of transportation for many people. Yeah. We've got to change that attitude and make sure that people understand transportation is a public good. It's going to make our air cleaner. It's going to make it possible for us to continue to grow. We can't, I have, often people ask me, well, we need to build roads. And I say, in what neighborhood are we going to tear down to do that? Right. There is not a neighborhood that I'm willing to sacrifice to the car. So we've got to build mass transit and the bus system has got to work and our train system has to build those connections to allow the bus system to work. And a penny on the sales tax may cost a family up to $600. But do you know the cost of a car in this state okay. is over $3,000? And imagine you have a car that's like what I used to have, one that doesn't work all the time, right, right, and right. you're tr constantly trying to figure out how to repair it. People on the east side don't have jobs that they can just walk to right. or ride a bike. They're going to have to have transportation if they're going to get down to the new medical center where they're going to have these great job opportunities, over 5,000 not requiring a college degree. We've got to create that system for everybody. So the, the transportation system is what I kind of call like it's your spine that allows you to stand up straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a bit of the nervous system too, right? It Which is. it allows for all of it. And it, it, it is so interesting because between I know you you you're a big fan of electric cars. Yes. Uh, but uh, you know between and who knows what the future of hybrid work will do to kind of the burn on the roads and how we choose to live in the future. So I think we have a chance in Charlotte if we plan twenty years out to not have the same issues some of those other cities have faced if we if we plan that far ahead and are willing to make those investments. And we've got competition. I mean Dallas, Houston. Austin, Texas, we have got to stay out in front of those places. Texas and North Carolina are a lot alike. The business climate is strong. People love the places that they can live. But the, the state and the cities that figure out transportation, those are the ones that are going to get ahead. Infrastructure is all about mm. a public need. And complete, completing that, I worry sometimes that we say, well, we're going to wait for innovation. I'm going to wait for the self-driving cars and, and all of that. Government doesn't move like that. We have to start with the technology that we have and innovate as we continue to build out. But we can't afford to just sit and wait for these things. I've, I've seen that happen too much because people will pass you by. Right. Companies will walk away right. from the table. We have to figure this transportation mobility effort out. And it has to be inclusive of every mode of transportation, That's every right. mode. Is there a city that, bigger or smaller, that you say they got it right or they're getting it right, that we look up, not look up to, but look and say, hey, we, we can learn a lot from them? Well, one of them that's in our country is Austin, Texas. Hmm. Um, they are, they have funded their mobility network. They are doing everything that we're talking about, they're doing right now. And they passed the referendum to do that. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask our voters 
to do something. We, we see ourselves in these little political boxes. Well, I'll never get them to vote yes. I say give the voters the decision-making authority and let them go for it. Mm. If they decide not to, that's okay. But I believe Austin has found it a way to do this, and they're getting out in front of us. Yeah, very interesting. You know, another challenge that I want to get your opinion on, I know this is not in, in kind of your domain okay. uh, in our city, it's education. I would argue that COVID has exposed uh, even the better systems in our country, mm -hmm. right? Because of the, the lack of equality and access to internet, um, burnout on teachers, teacher pay, lots of issues that are not just Charlotte related, but uh, I know we are really struggling and the latest tests really show us that we're, mm -hmm. we're leaving a generation of kids behind that we need to do something about it. And there's a lot of people putting their hands around this. What, what, what do you, if it was under your domain, what 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 do you think it's the most important thing to do from where we are? There's no need to be critical as around how do we move forward? It really is a tough and very difficult issue because nobody knew what COVID was going to bring and nobody knew the impact it would have on our children. But I think that I, I like to say if I were queen for the day, yeah, yeah. there'd be many diverse paths to training and education. Um, there are you do have to have the basics. You have to be able to write and comprehend and communicate and calculate. But if you could get those basics and then say, but here are three or four paths that you can choose mm. and that you get to make that choice early in your career, that you decide that you want to be a plumber or you want to be someone that does drywall or if you want to be someone in technology or medicine, I don't think our kids know and a lot of their parents don't know the paths that are available and that people need them. You know, I, th I think our education system is critical, as critical as anything in any city. And I think we got to we got to make it better. And I think this is the, the fight of the next 10 years for our city is to improve our education system dramatically. And that is such a Herculean effort because so much of our education was built during the time of the Industrial Revolution. And I just don't think that that is sufficient anymore. Mm. Um, you can't get any job if you do not know the basics of computers. Yeah. And I think when we recognize that we have a digital divide in this city, yeah. that people do not have access to technology, then how do you expect them to come to work or go to school and be successful? So there are some things that we've got to insert into our system that is, it, it may be costly, right. but imagine what the cost is if you don't do it. That's one of the questions we often forget to ask. Right. What happens if we don't accomplish this? Right. Let's pivot a little bit. Um, I'm curious as to who knows where we are in this uh, pandemic, right? And, you know, right. The, the optimists and you and I probably hope that this is <laughs> the beginning of the end and maybe that we're sitting here with a new variant and all these questions. But, but what has the pandemic taught you about leadership? I, I think the pandemic has taught me that leaders have to support one another, that in being informed and able to make good choices is not a solitary job. It is not a leader. It is a group of people that will put themselves at the front of determining risk, um, determining opportunity, and coming up with a good result. And that, I think, has been exemplified by our medical community, 
We have two hospital systems in the city, Novant and Atrium, and they work together. This is really an important part of leadership. If they both went their separate ways, where would we be now? And so for me, the thing that um, this pandemic, hopefully one day an endemic becomes, it becomes an endemic, is that we don't forget that the collaborative work that we've done as leaders makes the big difference in addressing tough problems. What have you learned about yourself through the pandemic? When you you say, what have I really learned um, and what have I done during this pandemic? Basically, it has been a time for me for some self-reflection to determine what's most important and how to give up what's not so important. Um, things that you just have ordinarily just done. I mean, I'm one of those people that walks around and straightens up all the lines and the dishes have to be stacked a certain way. It doesn't really matter that much. You know, it's all right to leave the coffee cup in the sink every now and again. You are a super grandma and I believe you're expecting your fourth. I am my fourth. Yes. My daughter. uh, Tell us, tell us what it means to you to be a grandmother and and what have you learned through that experience of, of being a grandma? I think when you're a parent and and you've got kids in college now and you see them grow up and you think all of those things that you should have done for your kids, you can do for your grandkids. And I think that's what grandparents do. They fill in the gaps that the parents are still having to experience. You're a place where the grandchild can come and say, this happened. And you're like, I know that your mom and dad don't want to talk about it, but let's talk about it together. That's the kind of grandmother I want to be, where they feel like they've got a place of safe harbor. This is the beginning of the year time of, Mm -hmm. you know, of kind of reset for the year. I Mm -hmm. I always think that people like you are always learning something new and growing. And that's why it's you're so effective at what you do. When you look at this year, what are some of those things you want to work on, both professionally and personally? I um I always have this reaffirm or an affirmation to listen more. Um, but in this case, what I'm trying to also do is to determine how I listen more and react to others where they are, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, like any person that grew up with five brothers, I have an opinion about a lot of things <laughs> and I often um, am quick to act on those. And I recognize that in myself because I believe in solving problems. And sometimes it's okay not to solve the problem and to let someone else solve it in another way. And that's okay. So my resolution is to step back a little bit. That is wisdom. That is real okay. wisdom. So if your brothers were sitting around here, uh, how would they describe you? I think they'd say I'm the most smart and spoiled person that they know. <laughs> uh, my, my brothers, I, I say this with all sincerity about them. My grandfather started this business with a mule and a wagon, and he dug the first basement for the downtown of Columbia. My dad then began to build roads and and parking lots and my brothers are now one of the top minority transportation businesses in the state of South Carolina. I have done nothing compared to what they've done. To be a third generation African-American owned business construction company is something that I can't ever, ever 
um, achieve, and they've done it, and and I'm really proud of them. What a remarkable story, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This is the the true American dream in many ways, and mm-hmm. the generational evolution. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call being the mayor of this great city anything <laughs> short. I'm sure they're super proud of you. And, well, thank uh, you. And more importantly, proud of the person you are and the leader you are. Listen, it's uh it's been a true privilege to have you here. I'm a big fan of yours. And, thank uh, you, Rick. I'm a big fan of yours. Well, thank you. We're going to make 350 kids every year more successful. Well, you're very kind, and I'm excited about our work together in Johnson C. Smith. Yes. I think we're going to make... Uh, we're going to make that school something we all are going to be very proud of and, and continue to be proud of. It's a great legacy that has a great future. Right. Thank you. All right, Mayor. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Bye. I hope everybody enjoy getting to know the coolest mayor in the country. Here are the three things I took from our conversation. Number one is that support systems really matter. The people you surround yourself with, friends, family, and other leaders are the ones who see the real you. These are the people who are able to keep you grounded and keep you dreaming. Number two, we should not underestimate the power of representation in leadership. When we see someone who looks like us in power, that is where the future is born. The role of leaders in both public and private sectors is to figure out how to create room for others to succeed, inspiring generations to come. And number three is that consequential achievement is the work of many. It requires time, patience, and an understanding that we're all but co-authors of a bigger plan. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.